You are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church in Tontytown, Arkansas. Our mission is to love God, love others, and serve both. And now let's listen in to this week's sermon. Well, do you think America, do you think the United States is on the right track? More than half of the people said, no, we're on the wrong track. Do you think we in the United States, do you think that we have an identity crisis about knowing who we are? I wonder about, from a point of churches in the U.S., because we just think about America's churches, I wonder if we don't have an identity crisis because a good share of the churches, rather than talking about God's Word and and about repentance and things we need to do to come to Christ, we get caught up in all kinds of conversations about philosophy and social circumstances. We get caught up in things about climate change and geography rather than in God's Word. And you know, there may be some of you today. You, in fact, may be experiencing what I would call a crisis of identity. Some of us that are listening today, whether you're online or in this place, you may find yourself in that spot. See, it's important to not only understand what you believe in, it's even more important to understand who you believe in. We're going to talk about that today as we wade through this. Our focus last week and in the next few weeks is about identity crisis. You're going to hear it from several different angles and about several different topics as we kind of bring that back together. But it sounded to me, and that's what it sounded, I watched heads nod, but it looked to me like when we talked about America and whether or not it was in a crisis, the churches, you know, all those things, seemed that I got quite a bit of feedback that said, yeah, that's really kind of where we're at, Tom. Well, you know, when we think about it, though, the last one I mentioned, which was, I wonder if I personally have an identity crisis. Do I have a good idea who I am, what I stand for? See, that's when we actually have the most control. You know, we can have input. We We can maybe be responsible for some change. But when it comes to the larger audience, really what we can do about ourselves. That's the one, that's the elephant in the room. That's the one that we have more choices about what to do. So the big question, if you're here, is, is what do I do about it? If I, if I feel like I'm in a point of identity crisis, what do I do about it? Last week when Eric preached, it was clear that what he was talking about is he, was, he said, here's the basis for identity. The basis for your identity is understanding who Christ is and being centered on Christ in your life. He made three points. He said, if you wonder about the resurrection of Christ, and he made the point that if, in fact, you don't believe in the resurrection, there's really no reason to be here this morning. There is no eternal life. A lot of what we base our Christian lives on, yeah, we we enjoy the Christian life here, but the reality for us without resurrection, I'm not sure what Christianity would stand for. He said, there's really three proofs when it comes to the resurrection. He pointed them out. He said, one is, is hundreds of years before it ever happened, it was prophesied, it was anticipated in Scripture, and you can go read it for yourself. Second one, he said that there's actually, there were eyewitnesses at the death of Christ, and we know that it wasn't just some of the brothers and sisters that reported it, but there were also historians that even talked about it back in those days. And he said the third thing is affirmed by others. Once Christ arose, we know that what he did is he appeared to Peter, He appeared to the 12 apostles. He appeared one time in front of 500 witnesses. 
and he appeared to James and then later to Paul on the road to Damascus when he asked Paul that penetrating question, Paul, why do you persecute me? So it may sound like a, a, a kind of a rhetorical question, but if I asked a question to you, where does your hope come from, then most of us, frankly, we would say, well, Jesus, of course. That's where my hope comes from, Jesus. So if we accept Eric's premise that Christ is the basis for our, our identity, what I want to spend my time today is talking about two things. I want to talk about hope, and then I want to talk about restoration as a part of your identity. Why are these issues critical? Because the reality is if you have even some portion of identity crisis in your life, without understanding that, you stay in that crisis. If you want to move out of it, then you start saying, okay, so how do I do that? You know, we sang a minute ago, and maybe you can fill in the blanks, the song. It says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And then it goes on and it says, all other ground is sinking sand. Written in 1834, a pastor, a Baptist pastor in England, and he wrote those words. And he used as the basis of that, the parable about the wise and the foolish builders. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. You're going to see 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, verse 1 in front of you. I trust, we'll see. If not, there it is. All right. This is what it says. And this is really the basis of Edward Moat's song that he wrote a hundred and however many years ago you figured out. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the spiritual food, and all of them drank from the spiritual water, for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. So he's identifying in that first Corinthians, who is that spiritual rock? That rock was Christ. If we roll ahead to Matthew, the seventh chapter, this is what it says. I won't take you through it, but you'll see it in front of you. But in essence, this is one that many of you are used to. Because it's, it's the parable that says, it's like a man who built his house on solid rock. That's a wise person, it says. It follows it's wise, like a person who builds their house on a solid rock. And then what is, how's the song go? The rains came down and the floods came up, or however that goes in the kid's song. But then it goes on to say, but it was foolish for the purpose, or for the person who thought they could build their house on a foundation of sand. I like the way it ended, it says, because it will collapse with a mighty crash. Kind of like life does. When we build that on the wrong foundation, then we're surprised when it starts to come down around our ears. So in the simplest form, we can dissect hope. That's the first of our two things. In the simplest form, we can dissect hope into two categories, really. On the one side, you have hope or being hopeful. On the other side, you have hopeless or hopelessness on the other side. So if you're listening today and you're in the auditorium or you're online, you'll be in one of those camps. Now, 
Admittedly, you may not be completely over here or completely over here, but you're going to find yourself somewhere in those camps. You're either going to be, I'm hopeful, I'm very hopeful, or actually I'm a little bit more hopeless than I am hopeful. In your bulletin, if you have it, grab it if it's close to you, but there's a fan in there that's drawn on the inside of that page. And what it shows is it shows on one side, it shows hope. On the other side, it shows hopeless. Now, you may want to just mentally figure out where you're at on that scale. Because when you go through these different things, I don't know if you all do. Every time I go to the stinking doctor anymore, every, I don't even get out the door and they're sending me a survey. How did we do? How did we do? It just wears me out. But the reality is we all do that. There's these surveys. So we're talking about this one to five thing. You know, if, if, you're, if you're, you're kind of on the hopeless scale, you're kind of a one on that five scale. If you're full of hope, then you're back over here. You're on this five side. And I think if you, if you have it in front of you, if not, do it mentally. But think about where you are in that process. Where do you line up? Are you a one? Are you a four? And in your life right now, where do you see yourself in that range of hope? This is what Ephesians says in the first chapter, verse 18. It tells us this about hope. It said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you have, he has called you. Now, look at that pretty closely because he says, the eyes of our heart may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope and then look at the words that follow that, that he has called us to. What that's saying is, is that he has every intention, Christ has every intention of us being hopeful. Every intention of us being hopeful. But what we have to do is we have to, we have to, to, to let our heart be enlightened by God's word, by the, by the people around us, by drinking in the things that we hear. We have to be, our eyes have to be wide open because if we're going to let hope into our life, we have to have our eyes wide open. You know, it's easy to, to live a life and, and not be looking for hope because it's easy to be focused on all the stuff that seems to fall apart and all the things that are negative and go wrong because, see, Satan would like nothing better than for you to feel hopeless. He would like nothing better than you to feel hopeless. This is a, uh, I don't know what that is, but... It's fun. So this is a funnel. Most of you understand that. Now, in this funnel, what it has is it has a large top. For some of you kids that are just now learning to cook or whatever, it has large top and has much smaller bottom. Now, when you start putting stuff in it and you're pouring in the top, whether it's I don't care, food, motor oil, whatever it is, you pour it in, and every once in a while you actually can pour it in pretty fast. And then you have to wait because the funnel will kind of fill up. You don't want it to overrun. And then you have this smaller outlet so it starts to come out of that outlet. Now, this is what happens. When you stop putting stuff in the top of this funnel, guess what? In a short period of time, stuff quits coming out the bottom of this funnel. And see, our hope is like that. Our hope is like this. See how good a shot I am? Our hope is like that. If we get tangled up, Scripture calls it, if we get tangled up with the cares of the world, 
If we get tangled up with the cares of the world, guess what? And we stop ceasing putting hope in the top of that funnel, our spirit starts to turn dry. And it gets drier, and pretty quick, it's really dry. See, my hope starts to grind to a halt when, when I let other people quench my hope. My hope starts to, to grind to a halt when I let other people in my life quench my hope. When I let other people, if I allow them to steal my joy on any given day, my funnel starts to run dry. When I cut myself off from the church body, whether it's freedom or somebody watching online, when I cut myself off from the church body, guess what? That funnel of joy and hope starts to run dry. When I stop drinking in God's word every day and having God's word in my life every day, my hope starts to grind to a halt. Or maybe it's when my prayer life diminishes and I go long periods without any serious prayer in my life. Or perhaps it's when I quit serving and I think I just need to be served. Because the reality is, is that's not what we're called to do. We're called to be servants, not servees, if that's a word. Or maybe when I put more weight on another person's opinion than I do on God's word, our hope, our funnel starts to run dry. I'd hate to guess how many times that we go to somebody to get their opinion about something that, that's really critical, important in our life before we actually seek counsel from God about what those things are. Listen to what scripture says about hope here. It says this in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. It says, for I know... Pay attention to every single word of this. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord speaking. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Think about that. I, I don't know enough about English to tell you about tenses and stuff. But if you look at that, he said, he said I know I have the plans for you. He's not, it's not a question. It's not an arbitrary issue, but he said, but I know that I have the plans for you as a believer. I have plans for you. I, 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 my plan is for you to prosper, and it's to have hope and a future. In Hebrews, the 10th chapter, it says this. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he, is pro he who promised is faithful. I did a poor job. Let me read it to you again. Let us hold unswervingly. That's an adjective. It's a descriptive word. Let us hold unswervingly. That means to, to really hang on to it. Let me hold unswervingly. Really hang on to the hope that we profess. For the one that promised to us is faithful. God's promised us hope. He's faithful. He's going to deliver. He's going to do what he said he does. Isaiah 40, in verse 31, it says this about hope. For those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. You probably recognize the rest of the verse that's up there. But it's telling us that if we'll hope in the Lord, even the days you feel like you're beat up, knocked down, tired, worn out, can't anything else go wrong? He tells us that the hope, our hope in the Lord 
that he will renew our strength. So focus on those three things out of there. Jeremiah said that God knows the plans he has for you. We don't have to make them up. You know, we just have to be a part of them. He knows the plans that he has for you. He tells us in Hebrews that, that we're, to, that we're to, uh, to unswervingly hope and claim that hope. And in Isaiah, he tells us that he will, in fact, renew our strength. But see, falsely, what happens when we're thinking in the area of hope, a lot of times our hope lies in my own personal ability. I can do it. I can handle it. It's up to me. I can pull this off. Or perhaps my hope is in my education. Or perhaps it's my hopes in my spouse or my parents. Or maybe, you know, I just have a good way with people. I can get people to do what I want to. I kind of know how to smooth them. And sometimes our hope is in that kind of thing. But you can fill in the blanks about where you put your hope. Whatever it is, if your hope is not faith in Christ, then you will miss the mark. It needs to be faith in Christ. That needs to be the point of what we're looking for. So if we go back to the hope meter, let's go back to the hope meter in our mind for a minute and think about where you were. So the, the first step, our goal in this hope issue is this. The first step is very simply, it's accepting Christ. It's not accepting your parents' Christ, your grandmother's Christ. It's not deciding that, well, I'm not totally committed, but you don't have any idea how much pressure I have on my time. I got a lot of stuff going on at school, or I've got a lot of stuff going on on my job. And you know, really, I, I'll get around to committing a little later in my life, you know, because I, I mean, you know, I'm 14, I'm 24, I'm 44, I'm 64, but I got a lot of time left for me to kind of close out that commitment and finish strong. Maybe it's when the kids are out of the house or when work doesn't put so much pressure on me. But see, Jesus, he didn't come for religion. Scripture says he came for what? He came that we might have life, right? That's why he came. He came that we might have life, that we might have hope. So if you've got that first one locked down, if you haven't, you need to be thinking about it and make it and taking some action. But if you've got the first one locked down and you said, hey, I've, I've accepted him, not only do I have accepted him in name and understanding kind of who he is, but I have accepted him as my personal savior. So we got... Step one down if you're there. And a second step then is that one called sanctification. I was kidding Dennis and, and uh, Justin the other day. They talked about that on one of the Wednesday night things. I said, well, that's one of those churched up words. You know, because I even have to stop every once in a while. Sanctification, what's that mean? It just really means set apart, right? And so once we understand who Christ is, and we've accepted him in our life, then we start this sanctification, this set-apart thing. And believe me, it's a lifelong process because what we're doing is, is it says in Scripture, we're to, we're to be imitators of Christ. Okay? Pretty straightforward, right? We're to be imitators of Christ. Who am I supposed to look like? Question to the audience. Who am I supposed to look like if I'm a believer? I'm supposed to be trying to be look more and more like Christ in the process, aren't I? But you know, even... When we live with hope, 
we're not going to be immune to problems. If you walk around this sanctuary on any given morning and we just visit, I did that this morning, and I talked to any number of people, and, and life just comes with challenges. It's just kind of a built-in thing. So we're not going to be immune to those problems. But let me tell you what hope does. If you have hope, and it's based in the right thing, it's Christ-based hope, and you have hope, then what happens is when you run into those obstacles, and you will, facing those with hope makes those things be easier than they would be without it. And as you're sanctified, as you're set apart, as you grow, as you say, as you try to imitate Christ and you move toward him and try to move toward who he is and you start shaping your behavior and your responses and your relationships, then all of a sudden you find, you know, when I run into tough deals, it just seems like with the hope of Christ, I just handle them better. They don't take me to the deep depths of depression. They don't beat me up like they used to because I understand where my hope is anchored and I understand who to put my trust in. And the reality is maybe, maybe, the, maybe the hopelessness doesn't all fade away, but I guarantee you, you'll recover quicker from it when you start to understand where your hope lies. Have you been to the ocean before? And, and, if, and if you have, you, you kind of walk out into the surf. And, you know, you stand there and maybe the water's knee-deep and the water's coming in and the water's going out. And you stand there. If you stand there for just a little bit barefooted in the sand, one of the things you start to feel is you start to see that you feel the sand that starts kind of moving under your feet. It kind of gets squishy as that comes in and out. See, that's the way life does, too, if we're not hooked up to the solid rock. If we're not anchored to the bedrock. Whether it's a slow fade and you just kind of get off track a little time, which is often how it happens, and you kind of look up and go, how'd I get here? Or sometimes it's because of some tumultuous situation. It may be that what's happened is it may be an illness that, that just just puts you in the dumper. Perhaps it's divorce. Maybe it's a soured relationship. Maybe it's the stress of your business or the stress of your job. Any of those things can do it. But see, the, whether it's a slow fade or if it's some kind of trauma, some kind of big deal that just happened all of a sudden in life, it's the same remedy for it. It's the same remedy for hope. And that is that you start with the first one. Do I have Christ as my Savior? Am I anchored to this solid rock? And then the second one is, if I accept him, I need to act like it. If I accept him, I need to act like it. I need to start this journey as we go toward this sanctification process. Now, we've talked a little bit about hope. I'm not going to take very long, but I'm going to talk to you briefly about restoration. That's what I want to spend my last few minutes for, because what happens is we focus on the identity crisis in this series. We know that from time to time, some of us, if not all of us, we're going to, we're going to get off of the track. We're going to lose track of our identity in Christ, maybe for a long time, maybe just for a while, but it's not... It's not unusual for that to happen to us. And we lose our identity 
in Christ. Sometimes we lose our identity in the body because of the choices we make. But our hope starts to dry up. Maybe it's because, you know, Tom, I, I've been hurt by other people. I'm just discouraged. You know, you, they just cut me to the quick when they said this or they did that. Perhaps we've made bad decisions and we, and we have those bad decisions and it's just easier to stay away because I don't know who knows what. They probably know everything about my life. They probably know I was an idiot. But it starts to become, we, we quench that hope and we start to say, hey, it, it's just easier to stay away than to have my faith restored and be around people that love me. Because what you find is typically the, you know, churches I always talk about people judging you for this and judging you for that. I'm not going to say there's not some of that that goes on places, but I can tell you my experience has been there's a whole lot more people that are interested in loving you than judging you if you run into those deals. Also, we allow our funnel to go dry when we pull away. Because you can say what you want, but when you, when you extract yourself from the body, when you extract yourself from relationship with other believers, that funnel, it starts to run down until you wake up one day and it's dry. So if you feel that you're either in need of being restored yourself or you're trying to assist somebody else, in restoration and restoring, bringing them back into the fellowship or even just a matter of strengthening their relationship, then here's some snippets I have for you. You're going to see them on the board. But here's some snippets. Now, you can go back and you can find these on version. If you watch it on YouTube or Facebook, if you want to go back, because these verses have some great information. But I'm just going to give you like little clips out of these verses. And your assignment will be is to go back and think about these as it relates to restoration. In the second Corinthians 13th chapter verse 11 it says things like this. It says be joyful. That's what we're supposed to do in a Christian life. We're supposed to be joyful. Are you joyful? We're supposed to be joyful. That's, that's who we're supposed to be when we're called to Christ. Grow to maturity. Sanctification. Grow to maturity. It tells us to encourage encourage each other. Boy, that's important, isn't it? We need to hear from our brothers and sisters, and we need encouragement. We don't need busybody encouragement, but we need real spiritual encouragement. And it says, live in harmony and peace. Boy, what great advice. Galatians, the sixth chapter, verse 1, it says this. It talks about restoration. It says, if another believer is caught in sin, hit him in the head with a sledgehammer. Man, it doesn't say that, does it? No. It says if another believer, if one of your brothers and sisters is caught in sin, what scripture says? It says, restore them gently and humbly. Restore them gently and humbly. Most of the time, if, if our tool of choice with the brother and sister that, that's living outside the lines, when that happens... Most of the time, hitting them with a sledgehammer has very bad consequences, as it would in real life. And it goes on to say this. It says, if another believer is caught in sin, restore them gently and humbly. And then it goes on with a little counsel. He said, oh, by the way, 
Don't allow yourself to get so close to it that you get caught up in the same kind of a problem, in the same kind of temptation. Or how about Jeremiah 17, verse 14? It says this. I like the way he said it. He said, Oh Lord, heal me. He's had, it's a question. Oh Lord, heal me. But then here comes a statement, and I will be truly healed. Lord, if, I, if you heal me, I will be truly healed. And it said, if you save me, I will be truly saved. Boy, how important that is if, you, if you're kind of lagging on the hope meter. How important it is that we understand that, Lord, you're, you know, you're going to heal me one way or the other. That's the way it works if you're a believer. We know about eternal life. We know about all those things. But I know too, Father, that you can save me. In 1 John, the fifth chapter, verse 4, it says this. It says, the child of God overcomes and achieves victory. Now, if you're a child of God, you just need to claim that. You know, even if you've done dumb stuff. But the reality is when you come back to the Lord and when you say, Father, I want you to restore me. I want you to build me. I want to be set apart. Then the child of God overcomes and achieves victory. 2 Corinthians, in the fifth chapter, verse 17 it tells us a very familiar deal. It says, if you're born in Christ, you are a new creation. Anyone that's in Christ is a new creation. And it says the old person is gone and the new life has begun. If you feel a little bit hopeless, camp on that verse. I mean, that's a great verse. The old is gone, the new life has begun. And maybe you've got to have a cutoff to start things and be fresh again. John 14, 1 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, and in Christ saying, And trust also in me. In Psalms, the 51st chapter, verse 12, Restore to me the joy of my salvation, and grant me a willing spirit. Both key things, right? Because if we're, if, if we're in a down stage, if we're kind of in a dry stage, you're saying, Lord, Grant to me, bring me back to, the, to that exhilarating, wonderful feeling of my salvation. Bring me back to that. And Lord, while you're doing it, give me a willing spirit. Well, we need that in America's churches, don't we? We need a willing spirit. I don't know, uh, you know, I've, I've never probably been accused of being a real patient person. My wife would testify. But I don't know if you've ever had anybody cut in line on you. I don't know. It kind of goes all over me. You know, you're in a line. You've been in 20 minutes at the DMV or whatever, and somebody kind of walks up. Oh, hey, John. I don't, you know, and they think, well, they'll get in with them, and nobody's going to notice the difference because they knew somebody that's up ahead of you. Hey, buddy. The back of the line's at the back of the line. You need to go back there. I was thinking uh, one day this last week that in my lifetime that I have sat in a Sunday morning service something over 3,700 times and participated in Sunday worship. Aren't you proud of me? That's a lot of times. I'm pretty old. But I've sat in, in more than 3,700 Sunday morning services and been a part of worship in whatever circumstance I was in. 
And see, I don't regret any of those 3,700. I have to admit, there was a couple of them. I, whew, they were snoozers. But the reality is, I don't regret having made that commitment. And I bet, there, I bet there's any number of you, when you go back and you look at your story, and you kind of go, okay, how many times a year do I go, and how many times did I miss, and how many years I'm old? And, you know, you go through, and, and for a lot of you, you have that very same story. So you ask yourself, Tom, what's the point See, regardless, here's, here's the point. Regardless of the circumstance, Jesus allows you to cut the line. Okay? Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of how many times, if you're not in that line, Jesus allows you to cut the line. When you ask Jesus to come into your life and declare that your plan is to ask him that you want to live forever as a Christian, that you want to say, yeah, I know I'm going to mess up some, Lord, but I want, to, I want to be as much like you. I want to imitate you. I want to be your follower. I want to be a light to the world. And you know what? He'll, he'll allow you to cut the line. Different than when you're at the DMV or somewhere waiting to get a ball ticket. But the reality is when you make a decision for Christ, now, again, I'm not talking about just knowing of him, okay? I'm talking about making a decision for Christ and say, my life, this is how I'm going to live my life. I'm going to commit my life to Christ. What he allows you to do is he allows you to immediately merge into the saved line. He allows us to do that. He allows us to do that. We don't, you don't have to go 3,700 times like I do. At any point in your life, no matter what your age, you have the opportunity to immediately merge into the save line. Through Jesus, then, we start to find that hope. An important thing to understand is it is hope for eternal life. Because I think sometimes we focus on, well, you know, you're saved and you get to go to heaven. But the reality is when you're saved and when you decide to emulate Christ in your life, then what happens is we start working on the part of being more, life, more like him and we start to find this joy of just living here on planet Earth. We start to realize that, you know, my, the, the, the hurts I had don't hurt as bad. The forgiveness that I need to give other people comes much quicker. I can really start to understand and enjoy what it is. So if we're short on hope, restoration is available to us. And like I said, I challenge you to go back and look at those scriptures. They're all brief, but my gosh, they've got some great stuff in them. Because we can be restored to Christ in a, in a more real and vibrant way, but we can also be restored to the body. And we find all kinds of reasons and excuses not to be there, or not to do this or do that. But Christ wants that personal relationship with us. And see, life makes so much more sense. And for those of you that are there already, you know this. But life makes so much more sense when you're looking at life through a Jesus filter. If you're looking at it through the world's filter, that's where we started. If you're looking at it through the world's filter, sheesh. You just say, I don't know, I guess we just throw in the towel. This, uh, there's no returning. This, things are such a mess. How do you ever change things? How do you get things back to whatever place they should have been? But when we start to look through the Jesus filter, all of a sudden we start to say, you know what? 
there is hope. You know, for instance, you, you look around at some of the young people that populate our auditorium today, you know, we're, we're often, us old people, we're hard on young people. We kind of go, yeah, okay, uh, they're a lost generation. But, but, but when I look around and I see the young people that populate this auditorium, I thought, wow, we have great hope. We have great kids. We have great youth and young people. They're going to grow up and be something. They're going to grow up and influence the world for Christ because they're going to see it through a Jesus lens, not through the lens of a messed up world. But very simply, our identity has to be, like Eric said, our identity has to be in Christ. Because if we try to find our identity in our schoolmates, our workmates, in our job success, or whatever those things, we'll be sorely disappointed in the long run. Bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you today for bringing us together in this setting. Lord, I thank you for... As I look across the brothers and sisters I have in this audience, Lord, I thank you for every single one of them. And Father, there are, there are people sitting here today that are very hopeful. Man, they, I mean, life's good and I'm bolted up to Christ. And, but then there's others of us, perhaps, Lord, that, that we've we got struggles. We haven't even talked about some of them. We haven't even verbalized some. And, and you know, my heart's heavy and I have this stuff and I got this baggage and Whatever the things are, Father, but I, I pray that for those of us that perhaps are, are a little bit more on the less hope side of the meter, Father, that we realize where our hope is. And yes, indeed, it's in, it's in you. Our hope is in Christ. And I pray, Father, that not only will we just say that mentally, but like the scripture said, it, that, that just the light comes through our eyes and populates our heart. And we realize, Father, that our hope is found in you hope is found in you because the reality is all else, all else is just sinking sand Father we love you and we're going to spend some time together as a church body and have lunch in a few minutes I hope it's a time, it's a sweet time a safe time, but I hope it's a sweet time as we spend time together and just find out what's going on in each other's life because Father you offer us a great deal and I know that you care a lot more and you tell us a lot more about living than you do about dying but I'm so thankful that eternal life is promised at the end of whatever this time frame is in Jesus name Amen Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tontytown, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.